Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your supervisors and managers, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13-month program, I'll be taking your managers through our driving results curriculum, and that includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem-solving, decision-making, team development, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoints, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take our program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. Many years ago, I took a intro to drawing course. It was one of the first college courses I took when I started to get back in the mode of going to college. The curriculum for that was actually a book, and the book was entitled Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. And the whole premise of that is that our right side of the brain is more creative and the left side is more analytical. Well, that's about as deep as I got into it until I met today's guest. Our guest today is Lee Comerford. Now she is a coach, trainer, consultant, speaker, and her main thing is whole brain thinking. Now I had no clue what that was, but after the conversation, it's very clear what this is. She's a practitioner of an instrument called the Herman. And in this instrument, we find that there are really four areas in the brain that kind of wire us to do things differently. Now, I've done a very poor job of explaining it. Thankfully, Lee is going to clarify all this for us. But I wanted to let you know this is going to be a very powerful episode. And my hope is that you're intrigued enough in this tool to engage with her and have her help you and your team figure out how to better utilize whole brain thinking. So let's quit talking about Lee. Let's talk to her. It's time for us to make sure the personal items tucked under the seat in front of us. Make sure the seatbelt is fastened low and across your hips. Time for us to taxi to the runway. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Lee Comerford, welcome to the show. Hey, Mac. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, we've been planning this for quite a while, but I guess, you know, you're pretty busy doing a lot of different things, and this is just a perfect time. So to date our podcast, we're a few days before Christmas, and then we'll be ready to jump into 2022. And I know you have some exciting things in store for yourself and for your business, and I'd love to hear about all those. But Lee, I was hoping we could start out and you could share something about yourself. Tell us about yourself, your journey, and some of the things you enjoy doing. Awesome. Well, Mac, I'm more than happy to. Uh, so uh, just a little bit about me. I spent years uh, sitting in corporate and really focused on customer service and account management. And during those many years, found that I was always incorporating training and learning and development within the roles that I held. And so as I progressed in my, in my time in corporate, had an opportunity to formally transition into learning and development, where I really feel that my passion was allowed uh, the opportunity to come to life. 
and really found what I wanted to do. So as much as customer service still has a lot to do with learning and development, that opportunity to partner with an individual, a team, an organization to help them with reaching those aha moments, it's just a really special thing. As you know, uh, you have an opportunity to do the same thing from that perspective. So as I shifted into uh, learning and development, uh, worked with an organization that was global and had a really unique opportunity to travel a bit. So I spent a fair amount of time in Brussels and um, so really got to understand the, the Belgian culture. And let me tell you, I love the Belgian beer and chocolate. Who couldn't, right? So, uh, so I really enjoyed that from a playful perspective, but also the people and getting to know uh, my colleagues from around the world who would come into the corporate office uh, to, to meet there. So I had an opportunity to really collaborate with folks who sat in every location around the world uh, in order to make sure that we were all aligned uh, based on our regions. I, I was managing the Americas region, while a few others were managing other regions around the world. And we had a chance to collaborate and, and bring mutual ideas together and then bring them to life. And one of those ideas was coaching. And this actually started in the, the Belgian office. And then after a short pilot, I uh, was given a green light to bring this to the U.S. And uh, through that opportunity, it was uh, really fun, that opportunity to do something I had never done. So starting from scratch, researching organizations that would come in and help train individuals who sat uh, throughout the business as well as in HR within the company I was in. And also manage that relationship and then also become a coach myself. And through that experience, uh, I have now left the corporate world and now have an opportunity through Lee Comerford Consulting to be that uh, executive coach and leadership coach, which uh, are all skills that I picked up when I sat in corporate. You've had quite a journey. In fact, so you are one of the many people who've sort of relocated to the middle Tennessee area. You've done that, what was it, a couple of years ago or? Yes, absolutely. It was in April of 20, right after the official lockdown for COVID. And that was a unique experience, moving moving in a, in a time where hardly any other cars were on the road, uh, nor could you have any contact with anyone. So we moved into a, a new apartment at the time while we were waiting on our home to be built. And it was completely contactless. Who was under the mat? You let yourself in. You made a phone call. Let them know you were there. It was the craziest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So where were you living before that? Yeah, we were in Atlanta, uh, in an area, Sandy Springs, uh, so just north of of downtown. Okay. So you went from having a ton of traffic to what you thought was <laughs> <Nothing>. paradise. Boy, <laughs> nobody's on the road. Yeah. And so fast forward to now. Yeah, mm -hmm. Nashville. You know, I've not lived in Atlanta, but everybody says Nashville is like Atlanta was right before it tipped the other way where there's gridlock all over the place. And so I, I don't know if any, I don't think Nashville's listened to those lessons because the buildings continue to go up and the roads, the only change in the roads is the amount of potholes in them. So the, the amount of potholes, yes. And the, uh, the opportunity for folks to move here. Uh, when we moved, I think we saw some crazy statistic that a hundred people were moving a week to Nashville. 
And so that leads to a lot more issues with cars on the road once everybody was able to drive again. Yeah. Well, it's ironic because, you know, any type of road problems, immediately people say, look, it's the Californians, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a native Californian. Now, people say, oh, my God, that's such an insult. Let's keep in mind that I left when I was 18 and I'm just a little south of 60. So it was a long time ago. Uh, but that's the one thing people say it's the Californians. But I have to tell you, Californians, I think, are the best drivers on the planet because you can do 85 miles an hour and be tailgated by somebody and it's not stressful. Here in Middle Tennessee, you know, you're going 50, 60 miles down the road and some little old man in his old pickup pulls right out in front of you, you know, and mm -hmm. and there you go. So either way, uh, it has changed here. There are very few, I guess, native Nashvilleans. There's just a lot of transplants. But the beauty is, I think you get a lot of people with different experiences. And it sounds like that's what you bring, Lee. You have a combination of an interest and skills in facilitating, but then you also have this other piece with your coaching. And so I know that you've also got a lot of different tools that you use. You've mentioned to me a few times this thing called the Hogan. Um, what, are the, what other things are you uh, conversant and certified in? Yeah, actually, it's Herman. A Herman yep. Hogan. I Herman. was thinking of the of the of the uh, governor of Maryland. I saw he had COVID today, so that's why Hogan's <laughs> on my mind. <laughs> that's where Lisa lives. My assistant uh -huh. Rachel, who works with us. So. Awesome. So yes, Herman, I've actually been certified in as a certified practitioner with Herman for a little over six years. And that journey started when I sat in my last corporate position. And this is all based on a model called the whole brain thinking model. And it's an opportunity to look at and understand the different characteristics of a four quadrant model, which many other tools have four quadrants. Yet this one is really sticky. It's easy to it's easy to take in. It's not complex, but it's incredibly detailed and deep from the where you can apply it perspective. So you've got these four different quadrants. And once you understand the characteristics of all four, you identify a little bit more about who you are. And this is generically speaking, if you don't take the actual assessment, the Herman Brain Dominance Instrument Assessment, the HBDI. Uh, so you can get a general sense of your primary preferences just by understanding the characteristics. But when you do take the assessment itself, it gives you that known understanding of, aha, this is why I do what I do. And this is why when I'm working with, for instance, if you and I were partnering on a project, we would understand why certain things worked really easily for both of us and where we might have some conflict uh, or rub against each other a little bit because of our different thinking styles. So it helps with communication. Uh, the model also helps with building relationships and can be applied to everything that you do, both personally and professionally. So with that, because I've seen, like I have a book, it's called Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. Is it left brain, right brain? Because that's the only brain stuff I know. Or is it different than that? Yeah, it's actually it's actually a bit different. So okay. when you think about uh, Roger Sperry's initial research many years ago on left and right brain, Ned Herman took this even deeper. So he knew that, you know, with with this one foot perfectly planted in art and music, he also had a foot perfectly planted in business as he worked at GE. And he's like, how can I be perfectly comfortable in both of these worlds because that wasn't something that was normal back at that time. And he was trying to figure it out. So he started with Roger Sperry's research of left and right brain. 
And then he actually expanded that and said, well, this is not exactly what I'm seeing based on what I'm learning uh, about what's coming to life for me. And then he expanded that into uh, Paul McLean's research, uh, which included the, the triune brain. And he said, well, this is good too, but it's still not quite what I'm, what I'm seeing, what I'm witnessing. And so what he created was this four quadrant model, these interconnected modes that allow you to stretch, lean, however you want to refer to it, or tilt, uh, in order to be successful. So these interconnected modes that allow all of us to really show up as whole-brained, even when it's not an opportunity, maybe it's a, a lesser preferred quadrant. When we have the awareness of that, then we have the ability to intentionally and consciously shift in order to make sure that we're showing up that way. So can you tell us what the four quadrant like sections are of this? Yeah, happy to. So we start with the blue quadrant. This is in the upper left. And the blue is all focused on data, being very analytical, logical. Uh, think about people who like numbers or spreadsheets. Uh, if you work with somebody, those are some sick people, by the way. I know, yeah. crazy people. Uh, those folks who love to be in spreadsheet land are are going to be those uh, those folks who have those characteristics that you can quickly identify as ah, definitely a blue quadrant preference. And then if we come down uh, into the green quadrant, so this is the bottom left. Uh, this is all focused on being organized, a planner, think sequence. Um, for this, uh, my fun reference is folks who like to have their checklists and their to-do lists. And if you are one of those people and you have an opportunity, you finish something for the day and you're like, oh, well, that wasn't on my checklist. Oh, I'm going to write it back in and then I can check it off. And we all know people like that if you're not already one of them, which I am. And I am not. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't spoken my language yet, but I think we're getting there. I think we're getting there. So far, these are some very difficult people in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the left mode, uh, the blue and the green together. And then when we shift, and notice I didn't say left brain, uh, because again, it's, it's more complex than that original research. Uh, then we're going to go to the right mode. We're going to go down to the bottom right. And this is the red quadrant. This is focused on uh, feeling, emotion, um, enjoying that opportunity to collaborate with others. Someone who has the gift of gab, talker. Someone who touches. So if you remember when we all used to be together and someone may bump into you in the hallway and they're always touching your shoulder or extending a hand to, to shake hands all the time, this could be a characteristic of the red quadrant. So that, that person who's really wanting to, to pull people along, intuitive from a people reading perspective. How are you resonating with that one? A little bit more. Yeah. A <laughs> little bit closer. Yeah. Well, then the fourth quadrant, and we'll see how this one sits with you, is the yellow quadrant. And this is the upper right. So between the yellow and the red, this is our right mode. The yellow quadrant is made up of that big picture thinker, a synthesizer, someone who you may refer to others as living in the clouds because they're always future thinking and dreaming, brainstorming. Uh, so if you find yourself in a meeting with someone and there's just this constant new ideas coming to mind, intuitive of thoughts and ideas, for instance, this is very characteristic of the yellow quadrant. Also, one is someone who may like to take risks and break the rules. So I'm wondering, does this resonate with you? Oh, yeah, that's oh, definitely yeah. me. 
that's why I had 15 years of misery in the military. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. the military is definitely a left mode, yeah. uh, blue green mm -hmm. type of environment. So yeah, it was a constant battle. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating, Lee. What, so can we ask you where you are? Yes, absolutely. I am very high dominant, high preference in the green and the mm -hmm. red quadrants. Uh, slightly followed by the blue, and then my yellow quadrant is my least preferred. And what's also interesting with the HBDI is you understand your normal preferences, and then also what happens under stress when you're under pressure. Uh, there's 24 questions in the 116 question assessment that gives an opportunity for you to force yourself to make a decision. Well, this acts as an opportunity to see when you might be under pressure. And that dictates uh, what's happening for you then. For some people, it doesn't change. For others, there's dramatic change. And for me, what I see under pressure is my green comes off the chart. My red increases. So I'm worried about what's happening with people around me. Yet my yellow comes all the way in. It almost does not exist at all. So... One thing I keep in mind and keep handy, you'll see, uh, I know you can see this, but our, our listeners can't. I keep a yellow post-it note with me all the time, and it's to help me remember to stretch into the yellow quadrant when I know I'm beginning to get a little under stress. Wow, that's fascinating. Now, are the are the stress adjustments, are they pre-programmed or are they what the individual does? It's all based on the individual and how they respond to the questions within the assessment. So once you take the assessment, there's usually some sort of a debrief, an opportunity to work with a certified practitioner like myself. And then there's also self-learning. There are online learning modules that help with giving some of the background and foundational learning around the model itself. Uh, then there are tips and tricks of how to stretch into the different quadrants that may be lesser preferred. So it's pretty helpful. So is it important to explore those lesser used ones or can we just discount them? Because it seems like they don't really matter. So why do we need it? We just want to be a one color person, right? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, so I love the question. And, you know, it's something that I hear and, and have experienced with StrengthFinder, another wonderful tool. Uh, StrengthFinder focuses on kind of staying in the lane of your strengths and really spending your time there to further develop your strengths. Um, the HBDI is not saying not to develop your strengths, but it's to be aware of your lesser preferred thinking because you may be working with someone who has a high preference in where in the quadrant where you have a low preference. So in order to communicate more clearly and more effectively or to build that relationship, you may find that it's helpful for you to stretch into that quadrant to meet that person where they are rather than just expecting them to change to you. Yeah. Well, I, you know, to be perfectly honest, I'd never heard of the Herman until I met you. Mm -hmm. And then I kept seeing things in your LinkedIn about Herman Herman. So yeah. I had no idea what this was. It's actually very fascinating. So yeah. when does the brain, so like, when do you start get, cause I, I'm more conversant with like Myers-Briggs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your type begins to develop at this age and it mm -hmm. becomes more pronounced. Is the brain the same way or is it like when you turn 18, it's done? <laughs> Absolutely not. The brain continues to learn uh, over time. You know, I think I think over the years I have heard from different people, oh, once you hit this age, you know, that's it. Your brain's just going to start kind of shrinking up. And actually, that's not true. The brain is malleable 
And it gives that opportunity for you to continue to learn and to create those new neural pathways. Uh, so an opportunity at your age and older, and, and I'm not far behind you uh, from an age perspective, we can continue to learn new things. It may just take us a little longer if it doesn't fall within our primary preferences. And you can have more than one primary preference. We do find that within Herman, there are double dominance, triple dominance, and some folks, about 3% of the population who are quadruple dominant, meaning they have a primary preference in all four quadrants. And you may be asking, well, is that better than maybe just having a double dominant? And the answer is no. We all have pros and cons, no matter what our, our, our profile is. And having a one, 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 one preference simply means that yes, you're strong in each of them, but when it comes to decision-making, for instance, it may take you longer to make a decision because you're swirling in all the information. So that's just one example of why your profile, once you would take the HBDI, is your perfect profile. And technically it can change over the years. We do recommend that it's not for children, uh, typically for, uh, for ages probably more 18. I have heard 16, but you want someone who's had an opportunity to get out in the world a little bit, to have some of those work experiences. So 18 is really the earliest that I work with people and then on up to any age. But yet you'll find that as there are uh, significant life changes, uh, birth in the family, a death in the family, marriage, divorce, uh, a shift of a move uh, like we did a uh, year and a half ago, COVID. These are all significant life changes. And based on how you respond to those and the neural pathways that are reset, you may find that your preferences shift over time. So we do recommend that you retake the HBDI about once every 10 years, unless you've had one of these major life occurrences and then you may want to take it uh, much sooner than that, just to see what shifted. That is fascinating. So how does this differ from, you've already kind of explained the strengths. Yeah. And I know that you you have other instruments you use too, because I look behind you, I see a little disc thing, I think, in your <laughs> background there, next to your bottle of whiskey. Is that what I see back there? Uh, so how does that how does that differ from, say, disc or mm -hmm. any other things? Yeah. So when you look at Herman, this is a and the whole brain model, this is all based on your thinking style. So who you are at the core. So think of the core as being kind of the center of. Um, oh, how do I want to refer to this? Um, let's say a Tootsie Pop. So this is the, the the part in the center of a Tootsie Pop. And then as you start to come out. Then we move into personality and then behavior. So when you look at how you're showing up, for instance, that's just beyond your personality and, and your behavior itself. So when you think of who you are at the core, that's your thinking. And then when you incorporate a personality assessment, so I'm certified in TILT and their entire uh, suite of tools, and also with Lumina Learning and several of their tools, when you incorporate one of those alongside Herman in your thinking style, you quickly learn a lot more about who you are, how you are showing up, and how you might want to begin to create a development plan to move you into a direction that best benefits what you're wanting to achieve. 
goals that you have, for instance? Well, that almost sounds like, like when I went to the chiropractor, like they do an exam and then they do stand in front of a thing and they look at your spine and then they say, here's the plan to fix that. Is that kind of what this is? You get a base reading and then you, you kind of move and start to learn things, incorporate them. Is that sort of how this works? You certainly do learn things immediately as you are understanding what your profile means uh, for you. And when, when having an opportunity for a one-on-one -on -one debrief, there are questions that will be asked that help you bring that data to life. The data is the data. Depending on how you responded to that, some of it may not resonate with you. And just as we know from any IT perspective, data in is data out. So if you put junk in, you're going to get junk out. So as long as you took the assessment from the perspective of I'm being honest with myself, I was actually breathing well that day. I wasn't just, you know, quickly answering. You know, remember when we used to pencil in, you know, C, 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 and you're like, oh, I'm definitely going to get at least yeah. 70%. Yeah. <laughs> when in doubt, select C. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't work that way. So if you were honest in your responses, the data will come to life through your stories. And that's really the most fun for me when I'm working with a client is saying, well, this is this is the data. How do you see that showing up in your personal and professional life? Oh, well, I see X, Y and Z. And they start sharing stories. And you're like, perfect. They've just validated that point or that element within the profile itself. That's great. So, Lee, I've taken the Herman and, and now I've got my stuff in front of me and I'm reading it. Is this where it ends or do you work with clients one on one to help them through that and maybe some of the other tools that you offer? Absolutely. It is something that I use in one on one coaching. So uh, it, it may start with just the HBDI, someone who just wants to get to know the HBDI. And then they realize, wow, this can actually go a lot further and we'll investigate looking at what does a six, nine or 12 month coaching experience look like with that person. Others who come to me and say, yes, I'm ready to make a shift. I find that I'm stuck in some way. Uh, maybe I was passed over for a promotion or I no longer have the passion in my role that I used to have. Well, what shifted? Uh, so we'll talk through that and help the person uh, have their own awarenesses and see things through a new perspective so that they can then bring that to life. And during that experience, we would incorporate tools like whether it's the Herman HBDI or the Tilt, True Tilt Profile, and even a 360, uh, depending on if that is something that the leader is, is looking to have that feedback. But you've used the term coach, and nowadays, you know, <laughs> you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a coach. Yeah. So tell me what your definition is. And when you are coaching, mm -hmm. what do we get? Yeah. What does that coaching thing look like? Yeah, it's it's another amazing question and one that I found as, as I was coaching internally within an organization, the terms mentor and coach were really used interchangeably. Uh, there was just not a real understanding of what does a coach do and what's the, what's the value of partnering with a coach to help with your personal development and personal meaning personal and professional. And so my definition is when you think about mentoring, you're partnering with someone who has experiences in the same areas where you want to grow. And they're giving you advice. They're saying, oh, go try this, or oh, don't ever go try that because it will blow up in your face. Um, they're giving you advice. They're sending you down a path, which you can say yes or no to, but they're giving that direction. They're leading you. 
coaching, on the other hand, is someone asking questions and helping you determine, ooh, why is this, why is this even an issue for me? What's happening in this? And what is maybe, um, what might it be affecting from my values? What motivates me? Is there something that's conflicting? So by asking questions about the, the what is happening for that person, you begin to have an opportunity for that new awareness and the new perspective that then allows my client to pick the own, their own direction that's right for them. So I'm not giving advice. I'm not leading. It's the asking questions to help them find their own direction because what's right for me may be perfectly wrong for them. So trying, uh, trying not to lead down that path. So if I'm getting coached by you, I'm not paying you to tell me what to do. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. Um, I love it. I actually heard someone say the other day, um, and, and at first I thought, hmm, I'm not sure I'll ever repeat that, but I think this is a perfect time. When you hire a consultant, you're paying a specific fee for that, and you're paying them to give you advice and to help you make decisions. Uh, basically, you're making decisions for them. Um, you're paying that price, yet you're paying a coach to help you peel back the layers of who you are to get to your own right answer. And that costs a lot more <laughs> than consulting. So when you go in and hire a coach, be ready to be uncomfortable. Be ready to learn things about yourself that will help you grow. Uh, if you're just looking for somebody to tell you what to do, it's, it may likely take you down a path that is not going to work for you, may blow up in your face. On occasion, you could get lucky. Yet when you work with a coach, yes, you're going to be paying some money for that. Yet you're going to be finding your own answer, your own new path that you're going to be taking to success. Well, that sounds like it's going to be worth it because it seems like anyway, if you had somebody kind of help you think through it, that's a skill in itself then, isn't it? Where then I could kind of do it on my own and figure it out? Absolutely. It's having that trusted um, trusted partner uh, sounding board to, uh, to rephrase things back to you, uh, asking, do you know that you just said this? Uh, and, you know, I've got clients who will tell me, uh, absolutely, no, I would never do that. And then three minutes later, uh, they're giving an example of something where they are doing that. I'm like, I I'm getting a little conflicting response here. What's what's happening there for you? Uh, and it's a, a great opportunity for them to say, oh, yeah, you're right. I did say I wasn't going to do that. And I did. Why wow. did I make that decision? What was that about? And what was behind it? So I guess you can't daydream when somebody's pouring their heart out to you, huh? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I think that's where my yellowness and this Herman thing, I'd be off, you know, solving world hunger. And you'd be saying, and Mac, the, the way I feel about this is that makes me sad, right? <laughs> yeah, no, be, being a coach is definitely all about being present and listening to listening to the words, uh, listening to the body language. Uh, so being open and, and watching what's happening with your client. Uh, when I don't have the opportunity to be face to face with a client, it is via a platform like Zoom, for instance. Mm -hmm. And so I can see what's happening with the client, with their reactions, uh, their body language and so forth. And, and that is very telling, even when the words are saying something very different. Well, that's coaching for individuals. Mm -hmm. Now I've heard of something called team coaching. Is that something that you know anything about, or yeah. is that even a thing? It is definitely a thing. And yes, it's a little something I, I know about. I went through a certification program a little over a year ago 
And team coaching is that opportunity to bring a team together in alignment. So finding that common purpose. A lot of teams are teams, but they're all focused on different things. They all have different goals that they're looking to achieve, which is fine for some teams. But when you really have a desire for a team to reach a specific goal together, it's bringing them together, slow down, get that alignment, get that common purpose identified and agreed upon by everyone so that you can then go fast. And uh, we all know that sometimes it's hard to slow down to go fast, yet you'll find that it's incredibly uh, beneficial when you do. So would I have like everybody in the room for a team coaching and then just sort of ping pong across the table or do you get everybody separate and then bring them together? How does that work? Yeah, it can really look... Um, it can look like anything you want, but when it really truly comes to the team coaching experience, yes, the full team is together. Uh, I'm usually there to listen to what's happening. Uh, in the beginning of the engagement, it's helping with some facilitated discussion. And then after we get through setting the, the goal, the mission, the purpose for the group, setting how, do we, how are we really going to work together and a few other elements, then it's observing the team as they're actually moving forward and then calling it out and saying, oh, I'm seeing a little misalignment here. What is the team saying? And the more questions you begin to ask the group collectively together, they begin to notice it in each other. And then they begin to ask those questions. Uh, team coaching is something that's meant to be uh, set for a specific amount of time, whatever that may be. Uh, and the goal is that you help train, we talked about the neural pathways a little while ago, help the team create these new neural pathways of learning to be aligned at, with each other. So they're asking the questions and the goal is at the end of that engagement, the team is self-sustaining moving forward. Wow. So have you ever had a team that's used you and then they do well and they start to fall apart a little bit and re-engage or <laughs> is, like a, is it like a, a vaccine once they get time with Lee, they're good to go. Yeah, it's, it's different with every group. Are there times where maybe a new team member is added, a uh, team member leaves, some things begin to shift within that alignment of the group. And it's a great way, a great time to bring a coach back in to help regain that alignment and that focus for the team to move forward. Uh, it's usually the fact that they've not slowed down to really bring that team member up to speed and to understand what did they need to be successful. It's not just about what those remaining team members need, but what's needed for the new person. And that's something that's usually missed when a new person is brought on board. I see. Well, I'll tell you, Lee, you know a lot of stuff. I'm really impressed. I mean, just the amount of different tools you work with and then the ability then to take somebody who's just gotten a bunch of information about mm -hmm. themselves and partner with you to help them work through it and improve. Now, you are headquartered here in Middle Tennessee, do you work with clients in other places or do you pretty much just work in this little circle here? Yeah, I actually work uh, globally. Uh, so okay. I've got clients who, who sit all over and really enjoy the diversity of that. Love, love my clients in the backyard, uh, but also really enjoy that opportunity to work with individuals all over. Um, another reason that leaving corporate was, uh, was a bit more attractive. Uh, loved working with individuals within that company, yet when I left, I realized very quickly, now I can work with many different organizations, individuals, and help change the lives of so many more people. That's great.
Well, the last thing I got to ask you, Lee, is for the person who's sitting here today and is hearing the train go by in the background at, while we're speaking here, <laughs> but they have heard about the Hermit. They've heard about the Tilt. They've heard about all these tools that you know how to use. Mm -hmm. And they've heard about your ability and willingness to coach them. How do they find you? What's the best way to reach out to you? Absolutely. The best way is to go out to my website, uh, leecomerford.com. And Mac, I know you'll be sharing uh, some of that information uh, as well in, in the text. So leecomerford.com. And from there, you can learn a little bit more about me uh, as well as click the connect button. Uh, share with me your contact information and we'll schedule a complimentary, uh, no obligation synergy call to talk about what's happening with you. And does it make sense for us to partner together? Uh, sometimes it makes perfect sense and other times it doesn't. So again, that's what the, the joy of no obligation. That's it. That's great. Well, Lee, this has been great. I've learned a lot and I know my audience has got a whole bunch of new things to think about. So if you've been listening today and we're at the end of this year, we're all hoping for a much better next year. But if you realize, hey, I want to make 2022 a hell of a lot better than the last couple uh, may I suggest you reach out to Lee. So again, Lee is spelled differently. It's L-E-I yes. and then Comerford.com. We'll have that link in the show notes for you. But Lee, listen, I appreciate you taking time during this busy time right before the holidays to share some information with us. And my hope is that people will reach out to you. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, thank you so much. And happy, happy holidays to you, your family, and to all of the listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.